Hello and welcome to uh, Ask About Asthma Week. This, this podcast is, uh, is titled, Is it possible to complete a good virtual asthma assessment? My name is Dr. Richard Isles and uh, with me today is uh, Pippa Hall from the Royal Brompton. We would like you to attend webinars during the week and watch out for podcasts on so- and blogs on social media. Uh, ask, ask about asthma is about raising awareness of the three simple measures that take uh, should be taken to manage all children and young people with asthma. Those are a written asthma action plan, using inhalers effectively, and having an asthma review every year and after every attack. It also looks at the at the impact of air quality on lung health. This podcast will uh, focus on the changes that we've seen around uh, the move from physical uh, face-to-face clinics to virtual asthma assessments. So the title is, um, is it possible to complete a good virtual asthma assessment? And I think um, this is a a kind of title that we chose because of the current trend post the COVID pandemic well, that's maybe a bit hopeful to say, but <laughs> the current trends were towards a mix between virtual and physical clinics with potentially the uh, onus on a virtual clinic assessment. I, um, I I think if we cast our mind back two years or more, our desired model was that a patient would come to a physical clinic appointment potentially be seen by a lung function technician, potentially have their lung function uh, done, spirometry and pheno, and uh, potentially be seen by the asthma nurse, maybe before seeing the consultant. Now, with the pandemic, that was disrupted quite considerably, and we're now faced with um, attend anywhere appointments, which have some advantages, maybe more advantages than we probably realize uh, from the professional side but we're also faced with the fact that if we don't do these properly we are probably unable to assess the certainly the physiology of our patients um, prior to a clinic appointment so that's that's the kind of background to this podcast Um, one of the questions I think Pippa and I put in are, uh, what are we missing from a virtual clinic compared to face-to-face? And I think there are many different perspectives from both the MDT and patient. And I'm going to ask Pippa to kind of have a little think about that one first. Thanks, Richard. So, yes, obviously um, we're not seeing the patient sort of in the same room as us. So obviously we're not able to do a physical examination. We're not always as easy to get a feel for how well someone is at the time. Um, obviously we can't height and weight our children. And, you know, we, we in theory can't do any lung function. We can't check their saturations. We can't listen to their chest. We haven't got the opportunity to do chest x-rays, things like that. So we are missing sort of the virtual, mon- the actual monitoring of their respiratory health, their asthma that way. But then there's the more subtle things like um, it's always good to see the, see the child. Um, we sometimes worry about our children if we, if we can't actually physically see them every day. Occasionally we might have safeguarding concerns um, and there are concerns that those might get missed, um, not seeing our patients face to face. However, as I'm sure we will go on to to talk about in more detail in this um, 
podcast we did in the matter of quite a short amount of time to try and overcome as many of these quite a few of these problems um, because as Richard said we were suddenly in a position where we couldn't physically get our patients into hospital we have lots of very poorly asthmatic children or even our mild to moderate asthmatic children who still need monitoring their asthma checked um, so we did set up quite a lot of virtual monitoring Okay, that's, and we'll come on to that in a minute because I, I think you've, you've, you've mostly succeeded in providing some of your patients with a really good virtual clinic setup. But if I was to be a parent, maybe, um, the advantages to me would be um, I wouldn't have to travel. I probably wouldn't need to take my child out of school. Um, I probably um, would be able to fit this appointment and certainly you know, when I was working at the Evelina and for the Brompton many of our patients actually the travel time is quite significant isn't it so you know and, and most of our patients would come on public transport um, rather than drive into the centre of London so uh, there are potential advantages and I was seeing quite a number of my patients um, almost refuse face-to-face -face appointments and you know, there was a risk of COVID at the time, but um, one can also see from their point of view that this is maybe more desirable to be able to fit a 10 or 15, 20, 30 minute appointment at home um, rather than actually do a two or three hour turnaround, four hour turnaround travel time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Pippa, what, what did you actually do at the Brompton that, that kind of pulled this together and I think you did it in a remarkably short period of time. <laughs> yeah so we identified initially our more um, severe asthmatic patients the ones that we were most worried about and we provided them with a home lung function monitoring device. We used a device called NuvoAirs but I think there's other devices out there. So this was a way of monitoring their lung function remotely at home. So prior to a clinic appointment we could um, ask them to do a lung function for us so then when we were seeing them on the video call we would have their lung function in front of us. Um, we also I must admit we were doing this pre-pandemic but it became even more important was monitoring adherence so we can issue we issued a lot of our patients with little devices to fit onto their inhalers which would tell us whether or not they were taking their inhalers um, regularly and obviously we all know that good inhaler or good medication adherence is key to good asthma management so we could keep an eye on that. Um, peak flow monitoring for those patients where we weren't able to provide them with a nouveau air we could definitely recommend them doing peak flow monitoring if we felt that it was needed for those particular patients and again not wholly um, relevant to asthma per se but just within our general um, respiratory cohort of patients we were also we set up a very very quickly set up a sputum um, testing service whereby we sent packs out to our families where they could produce a sputum or cough swab sample and send it back into us prior to their clinic appointments. So for a lot of our patients, yeah, we were able to have lung function, their adherence, and if um, it was relevant, a sputum sample um, result prior to to the appointments. Um, we also, just because it was new to lots of our patients, the CNSs took quite a vital role in contacting all families before their appointment, checking that you know they were prepared for the doctor's consultation. And it was just, we, we also were sort of checking inhaler technique 
via video call and trying to do all the bits and pieces that we would have done face to face in a clinic appointment, but virtually via video appointment prior to their appointments. And yes, as you say, say, Richard, you know, for a lot of our patients, particularly in a tertiary centre, it saved, you know, a lot of time, time travelling. So, so, so I'm, I'm getting the feel if, I, if I'm sitting here and you're selling me a package as a patient that although you're investing quite a lot of time before the clinic appointment, that actual clinic appointment then becomes far more informed. You have potentially sputums, you have lung function, you have um, a wealth of information. So you're, you're, you're able to actually improve the, the consultation, do you think? I definitely think it's it's in some situations no worse. It's definitely can be as good as a face-to-face -face consultation. But I think what's really important to point out is that there's no one size fits all. And I think going forward, it's definitely a hybrid approach. And depending on the severity of a child's illness and sort of results, we always need to have some flexibility and parents need to be aware that there might be occasions where may need to come up. So for instance, we have our patients on biologics, so two weekly or monthly injections. And in fact, we set up a home care biologic. So pre-pandemic, all our patients were having to come into the Brompton Hospital every two weeks or every four weeks for their um, biologic injections. In a matter of a few weeks, we managed to train most of our parents up into administering the injection themselves. And then we carried out a nursing video consultation um, to and we worked with the families. We had the families on the video call and we could observe the injection being done and we could carry out all the all the questions, all the um all the um all the same things that we would have done if we were seeing them face to face. But we have got some caveats to that. We still do want to see these patients in clinic face to face every three months because of course there are concerns that we could be missing things. Um, for some of our patients doing a lung function remotely, we might not get the same results as if they were sitting, standing in clinic with one of our physiologists guiding them through the process. Um, so yes, it's basically no size fits all in our mind, but we have a general um, sort of idea going forward that it's going to be a hybrid approach. We certainly don't want to drag families up to the, our hospital. Um, missing whole days of school unnecessarily but equally it's really important that we keep these patients safe and of course there are some things that we definitely can't do remotely we can't do chest x-rays we can't do blood tests we can't get children who are on prednisolone or high high dose of inhaled steroids you know we can't do short snapping tests check their adrenal function remotely so of course there are situations where may need to come up there are also other patients that we are worried about um, and and then, of course, there are some some families who actually do quite like the security of coming up to see us. In fact, we've got the occasional patient where we're trying to sort of persuade them that they don't need to take their child out of school once once a month for a whole day just to come up and see us. And we're trying to reassure them that we can give them as good a service doing uh, it at home. That sounds absolutely amazing. And, and I know I was working with a, a, probably a less well-funded system and seeing probably the majority of mine were new patient referrals. And uh, I found that actually having maybe an asthma nurse see the patients before, or if I saw them before, but set them up with a, an ACT score, um, a bit of virtual inhaler technique, 
uh, and also um, a peak flow diary meant that I could get the basics at least. Um, Absolutely. And that's an, yeah, that's another thing that we've been doing here is we've been triaging our clinics. So now we are able to bring children up face to face, but we've got into a bit of um, a routine now that a week or so prior to a patient's clinic appointment, we give them a call, we carry out a nursing consultation, we carry out an asthma control test, we check their inhaler technique, we get a feel for what's going on. And then as a team of nurses, we will make it, if we think that someone is very well and they don't necessarily need to come up and have a face-to-face -face video appointment, we will suggest that. And equally, conversely, if we're worried about a patient, even though they might be booked for a video call we will then discuss with the MDT up here that perhaps actually we're a little bit worried about this patient and they would warrant coming up to be seen face to face. That's amazing do, do you think you're spending more time the same amount of time or less time with the pre-clinic arrangements uh, than you did before? Definitely spending more time with the pre-clinic arrangements before but then I think our clinics run smoother. We're only seeing the patients up in clinic who really need to come up. It's, I have to say, it's just a very different way of working. If you looked at our nursing day-to-day -day activity two years ago and compared it to now, it's, it's very different. There's another advantage actually of doing the virtual visits is that it's much easier for other members of the MDT to join a clinic consultation. So our patients who are shared care, we can get doctors, nurses from other hospitals join the call virtually as well. Um, and even we've, you know, if you've got parents who are separated, not living together, we can invite both parents or carers to join the call. Whereas before, you know, it would have meant, you know, several people having to make a long journey up to our hospital. So that's, that's, that works really, really well. So, so I'm getting the feeling there are more advantages at the moment than, 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 to a virtual clinic appointment when it's done correctly with the amount of support, uh, but it doesn't fit everyone. So it definitely it, doesn't fit everyone. And there are, are you going to? You're probably going to ask me what are the disadvantages in my yeah, mind. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, we have Richard had to um, produce a sort of list of expectations for our patients. So the, the first one is, I think, when parents patients hear that their appointment is going to be via video, I think they put there is a risk that they put less importance onto the video consultation than they would do on a face-to-face. -face. So it's really important that parents, patients realise that this is as important as a face-to-face -face appointment, really important that we're on time, that we're in a private space. You know, we could all give lots of stories about people taking calls on the bus, in a park, with other kids running around. It's really important that these families are in a confidential private space. Um, it's important that um, they're in a place with good internet connection, their devices don't run out and all the other issues surrounded with, you know, any type of IT type of type of work. Um, and then again, we have patients because we are able to do these video appointments. When we do want to get our patients up face to face, we feel that it's really needed. We do get a, we have got a small group of patients who were like, well, I don't really want to come up, spend two hours driving up to Brompton, you know, and, you know, we have had problems with really having to be quite insistent that patients come up um, because they perhaps see that a video one is as good as a as a face to face and they don't want to make the effort to come up. But again, we've talked about it earlier. It's so important that we do once in a while see these patients. Yeah. 
so so that comes to the MDT assessment pre-clinic, you know, kind of an MDT assessment post-clinic. That means you can actually decide. But one of the advantages to the virtual clinic is that you do actually have space and properly supported space for the patients that you do need to see. Is that right? Absolutely. And um, yeah, because again, with COVID, we obviously needed to have our social distancing in place. We couldn't actually physically have a waiting room with as many patients waiting as we could before. So yes, we absolutely, we could make sure it was a safe environment for patients who did need to be seen um, by doing some of our patients' consultations virtually. It also offers great flexibility for um, the staff as well. It means that we had quite a lot of staff who were working from home for some days during the pandemic. You know, they could carry out their clinic consultations virtually from their, their homes, potentially. It saved lots of commuting when we were all being advised not to commute. And again, that's followed up. That's still continuing to be a really, really helpful. We can also, um, I mean, one of my nurses that I, in my team, um, quite likes doing after school um, virtual appointments. So she fits her working day to fit in with her cohort of patients who actually are quite happy to have an appointment at six o'clock in the evening when they're back from school, they've had their dinner. So that really does open up kind of uh, kind of is another tick to the advantage list if i'm sitting here as a as a as a, a parent or, or or a patient that i might be able to have if i'm playing if, I, if i'm doing everything right and i'm stable um then i do I'm, i might be able to have my clinic appointment after hours and we don't need to have that physical clinic space from a professional point of view yeah. in the hospital anymore um yeah, perfect. Um, so, so I think just going back to the etiquette, I think we, we had a conversation prior to this podcast about etiquette, and I think you defined that really well. Just out of interest, did you send your patient cohort a written list of etiquette kind of rules, or, or is this just a, a kind of informal discussion that you have with them? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, we've got lots of different patient groups. I'm not sure if we actually sent it to all our asthma patients, but definitely our patients who are on biologics. Um, but yes, and it went out in our newsletters and on our, um, you know, social media sites and things like that. But to be honest, you know, the, the vast majority of patients and families you know, there aren't any issues. I think it's more occasionally you get a family and you're a bit concerned that they're, you know, dri you know, they're driving to the supermarket or in the supermarket trying to do the yeah. consultation. What we have, the biggest problem I would say actually is um, parents sending their children off to school and saying to us, look, this is going to be a video call. There's no point in me keeping my child at home because, you know, I can just answer any questions. You're not going to be examining them. They've done their lung function before they've gone to school. So that's probably the biggest um, thing we've had to sort of try to explain to families. But it is really important that we actually see these patients. And we, especially for the older children, they get an opportunity to talk as they would do in a normal face-to-face -face clinic appointment, you know, thinking about the transition sort of process from about the age of 14 onwards we want to have a lot of the dialogue directly with the patient themselves absolutely absolutely really important um and so uh, do you think this has now reached a, a status quo that you've got this mix is that mix comfortable now between um virtual 
and the physical clinics or do you think there's more to be done for the future? Do you think we could improve this? I think that it's it's definitely going forward a hybrid approach. I don't think we will ever go back to we will never do 100% virtual and we will never do possibly 100% face to face. I think different doctors and different specialities have required different things in their examinations. Um, I certainly think things like new patients should always be seen face to face initially, in my opinion. Um, and the other thing, Richard, is not all of our patients we don't have, and especially it will be even more so in you know, primary care, secondary care hospitals, we certainly don't have opportunities or the funding at present to do remote monitoring in all our patients. So a lot of this conversation has been focused around our patients who do have opportunities to do lung functions at home, do have smart inhalers. But we've got to remember the vast majority of patients sort of nationwide don't have the opportunity for this fairly technical remote monitoring. So I think no size fits all and it really just depends on the patient, the severity of their illness and the medical team looking after them. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's I always like to think that we have aspirations. And I think I saw at the ATS, the American Thoracic Society meeting that um, from Novo Air and you know, the Brompton group, that 70% of people who were given smart inhalers and smart um, spirometers or whatever else, actually felt more reassured that they understood their disease process and they felt very comfortable with it. And 70% is quite a, a high hit really in, in, in that kind of world. So um, I think, yes, that would, it is a small group. I always like to think it is the top of the pyramid that <laughs> access to this. And, and we need to really think how we might be able to provide uh, the similar kind of care to those people. But one of the tricks is to get those the, the patients on the right pathway to get to that point, really. Um, and I go back to that there are simple methods that we could use, such as can we do ACT scores virtually? Can we do uh, asthma diaries virtually? Can we do lung, uh, a peak flows? Uh, and, and can we actually use a peak flow diary to measure some kind of adherence? I know it's it's real basics, but you still get the gaps. And, and for most of us who have been in the trade for a while, you will recognize a wonderful peak flow diary that has a wonderful straight line to it. and and is perfectly filled out with the same pen compared to that which is mildly chaotic and has one or two gaps compared to the one that's completely empty or lost or the dog ate it. So I think you know, there are there are these kind of um, simple methods that we can do for probably the majority of our patients to reinforce and and, and I love your, your, your kind of uh, idea that you're informing the next clinic appointment because I think that is the catch for most patients. I think the most disheartening thing is to arrive in a clinic and you're just given a list of tests that you haven't had. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, this, this kind of way that you've set it up, which is really, really beneficial, although it takes a lot more work, is to actually get all the information ready for that virtual clinic appointment. And though it doesn't necessarily tick every box, it's getting closer to um, being, a, from a professional point of view, feeling much more secure. Yeah, no, I, I think that definitely COVID hasn't had that many benefits, obviously has had no benefits, but it has made us 
in a very short amount of time think differently about the way we deliver our care and I think it has given us lots of food for thought and I think that going forward I think the management of asthma care will um has changed quite significantly for the better perfect I, I I it's wonderful to talk to you Pippa I think it's it's really enlightening what you've managed to do um and I I, I know you know, there was a degree of wonderful Brompton pump priming but I think it's a it's a model that you really do need to describe and we need to kind of roll out where we can to other centers because I think it's 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 a very um it, it although it's it's on its way to being much more mature. This is the way that we will be working in the future. And I think you've once again pioneered uh, a kind of a, the stable way of doing this. Thanks thanks very much for talking to us. Um, uh, this is a podcast which is part of the Ask About Asthma Week and is appearing in the nurse in a, in, in a, on the nursing day. And I'm sure many of your uh, our nursing colleagues will be in touch with you to, to maybe hear a little bit more on a one-to-one -one basis.